0: Good morning. It's not even a morning. You guys, I'm trying to, I'm trying to see how, how early you woke up today. Are you, are you with me or not? Good afternoon. I was mistaken, by the way, uh, this morning for, for somebody with the last name, I think, Zelensky, uh, because of the, the olive drab shirt I'm wearing. But no, you are in the right place. This is not the United Nations. This is, in fact, Trails on a Sunday afternoon, and I'm so happy uh, that you've joined us. If you're new, my name is Matt. I'm one of the pastors and preachers here. Uh, by God's grace. My plan, uh, by the way, when I was about uh, 14 to 17, was to be a hermit in northern Manitoba, hunt, fish, trap with my dog until I died alone. So praise God that he has other plans, Uh, and I I get to somehow be a pastor, which is is really strange, Um, and I'm I'm grateful. Uh, Really, I'm just a sinner saved by grace, uh, which is hopefully your story here today as well. And yet, God uses us. So, uh, I'm also excited because as I was thinking this week about where we're at in our series in Exodus, we just got through the Ten Commandments, um, and now we're embarking kind of on whatever's next. And let's be honest, most of us aren't that familiar with everything after the Ten Commandments. We usually kind of close the movie there, right? We kind of like we get through the excitement of the slavery and the the plagues and then the red sea crossing and and then the glory of mount sinai and then after that it kind of gets muddled in your memory i'm guessing Uh, maybe the movie didn't quite slow down and do like six hours of legal material after that like we maybe should have if we were going to be biblically accurate i don't know if you're one of those people i am Uh, i always when i'm watching a bible movie it's the worst you don't want to be in the room i'm like that's not right Oh, that was good. That was terrible. That's not in the text. Uh, so maybe it's a good thing that, that they didn't go for six hours of legal material after the Ten Commandments. But that's where we're at in the church, and and uh, we're 18 months old. We're still a pretty young church, and, and many of you haven't been here even that long. Maybe you've only been here a few Sundays or a few months or maybe a year. And uh, I, I, it struck me today that this is a beautiful time for us as a church to kind of settle in with what do we do with this law. Because really, isn't there a lot of confusion in the church these days about the relationship that we have as Christians with the law? What do we do with this in our Bible reading and in our personal life? What does it have to do with my Christian walk? And it might seem like a bad question to ask an 18-month-old uh, church. And yet, I was reminded as I was prepping this week that Leviticus is actually the first book that, that Israel would teach to their children. And why is that? Well, it's, it's very concrete, right? There's clean and there's unclean. There's right and there's wrong. And so really, there, there's nothing better as a young church than for us to grow in our knowledge of who God is and what holiness might look like and what it looks like to walk with Him uh, than, to, than to go through uh, exactly what we're going through. So I'm, I'm very happy to be able to do that. And by way of introduction, um, just a reminder, right? We've come from the Ten Commandments, and I'm going to pick up a big chunk of text today. So we're in Exodus chapter 20. Uh, You can turn your Bibles there. Uh, There should be a Bible in front of you if you forgot yours today, uh, in the pew. And this new section, beginning in uh, in verse 22, immediately follows on the heels of the giving of the ten words or the ten commandments, Uh, and I'll use those interchangeably. Moses is still in the mountain. They'll be on Mount Sinai for a long time, and he's just re-entered or entered this thick darkness where God was. And it's a, it's a new section that begins with these words. It says, Moses went into the thick darkness where God was. And then it says, and the Lord said to Moses. And the speech that God gives goes all the way through the end of chapter 23. And so this is kind of the very first speech post-Ten Commandments. And this is right before the covenant is confirmed in chapter 24. So just a bird's eye view, right? We've got the Ten Commandments. People kind of freak out. Moses goes into the cloud and gets this rev- extra revelation from God before coming back to the people and saying, this is all that God has said. Will you enter into this covenant? And so this covenant is broken up into six subsections. And it's called the the Book of the Covenant, as we'll see in a moment. Um, firstly, if you're scanning in your Bible here, beginning in verse 22, going through 26, is all about the right worship of God. Idols, idols. Uh, Alters all of these kinds of questions. Next, in verses 1 through 32 of chapter 21, is laws about slavery. And we might point out uh, at this point that this isn't slavery like you might think about in the American South, where people are stolen and and you know confined to lifelong slavery and horrible treatment. This is more like an indentured uh, servant-type uh, relationship, where you might actually choose to enter into it for a set period of time. Uh, how should you treat these kinds of Hebrew slaves. And then thirdly, in verses 33 through uh, 22, 15, we see that there's laws about what do you do if somebody steals or something gets broken? Uh, how do you fix it? How do you make something whole and, and restore? How do you make restitution? And then uh, fourthly is some questions of just general justice. We might say sort of miscellaneous social concerns in twenty-two sixteen through 23, verse 9. Fifth section, or subsection rather, is laws about Sabbaths and festivals. These are special occasions, either weekly or annually, um, or every seven years, or every seven times seven years, that you're supposed to recognize as special and take times of rest and and feasting, celebration. And then sixthly, and this this has not been uh, assigned to me for this week, but the sixth section is the final one, and that is in 2320 to 33 is all about making sure that you follow the words and listen to the voice of the angel of the Lord that, that the God, uh, God of Israel is sending before his people as they journey into Canaan, which is this beautiful, kind of hopeful finish as they get set to, to move towards the promised land. And these six subsections, together with the ten words, form what's called the Book of the Covenant. And this is actually mentioned in chapter 24. And we see there, it says Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. I actually think that, that those are technical terms in that verse. The words, are, the ten words is what they're called in Hebrew, for the Ten Commandments, and then these additional rules, right? So he gets kind of two, two sets of instructions. You've got the tablets and the scroll. And, and so he tells the people, and all the people answered with one voice and said, and then they collapsed these all kind of into one package. All the words that the Lord has spoken, anything God said, we will do. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord, and he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. He's reading and, and preaching to them exactly the text that we're, we're dealing with last week and this week and next week. Uh, this, this is what's called the book of the covenant. And the people say, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do and we will be obedient. So this, when you talk about the Mosaic Covenant, this is exactly what we're talking about. It's not just the ten words. It's the ten words plus the rules that we're going to be in today. Um, And all of these instructions um, are are what we call uh, the Mosaic Covenant or the Book of the Covenant. And so looking at these six sections, uh, if we go back a slide here, it might look like at this point in the text, God kind of goes on a rabbit trail, right? Like, wait a minute, what? Like, if you could choose anything to put at the heart of a covenant, would it be laws about slaves and like weekly times of rest and and what to do if an ox gores somebody? It kind of seems like a rabbit trail, right? But we're going to find it's actually uh, anything but that. It's not just a random collection of extra rules. um, But in in what way is it linked to the to the ten words? In what way is this really suitable material to form the heart of the covenant document. And that's what we want to dig into uh, today. And we're going to move at a a quicker pace. I will not be able to uh, preach verse by verse. But as you skim these sections, there will be an opportunity coming up where you can call out uh, a verse that you think is interesting. And so I I want you to kind of psych yourself up for that. There'll be an opportunity. I'm going to give you, I won't give you the mic. You'll have to yell. Uh, Just tell me this verse. And and then uh, if, if it's something that's like, what is that doing in there? I want you to kind of zero in on that as you're scanning through. All right, <clears throat> And so we'll find that this book of the covenant has so much to teach us, um, and, and every time we, we look at it through a new lens or a new level of observation, it just has richness on its own and, and powerful applications for us in the new covenant. Um, and we want to look at it through two lenses primarily this morning. Um, but before we get all the way into it, let's, let's pray uh, together. Lord God, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for taking this group of Hebrews um, out of the slavery that they had no power to free themselves from, that they cried out to you, Lord, and that you were faithful, and you heard their cry, and, and you were faithful to keep your promise to Abraham to, uh, to bring his descendants out of the land of their slavery with great possessions. Lord, you were so good to them. Um, and, and so, God, as we look at the things that you're, you speak to this, this group of, uh, of former slaves, freshly out of their slavery and into freedom, uh, freshly into a new national relationship with you. Lord, I pray that you would help us to see what this text has for us today. I pray, Lord, uh, that Holy Spirit, you would, um, that you would speak, that you would convict, and that we might get to know your heart and, and grow in our holiness as we read. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first lens that I'd like to look at this through is... <clears throat> mm, here we go. Lens number one. Um, and, uh, and this first lens is really actually a critical one. It it might seem obscure, but this should be the basis of your Bible reading. So firstly, we want to look at this collection of rules and and look at it in light of the major events uh, of of the book that it's in. Isn't that how you read your favorite novel? I think I've pointed this out to you before. If there's a scene in the movie, you should relate it to the major events of the movie. If there's a a dialogue in in your favorite novel, you should relate it to the major events of the novel, right? Everything feeds and, and looks back on or lo- anticipates or foreshadows those major events. And what is the major event of the Old Testament? The Exodus, right? It's, it's the judgment of Egypt, the bringing out of the slaves and, and the splitting of the Red Sea. And so that is the major event. And we actually are right in that very book. This is the book of Exodus, right? This is the, the main book of the, the main event uh, of, of not only the Torah, but the entire Old Testament. The entire Old Testament is, is just like the continued story of this group as they live in light of what God has done for them. And so what we want to do is we want to look at, okay, these rules are, are, are given to a group of slaves who have just been freed, right? So what do we find is actually very interesting. We notice that there's a lot of mention of rest, restitution, setting things whole again, Freedom, treating each other properly, remembering that you should be, you should live like former slaves. Remember that you were once slaves and treat each other well. So this is a perfect list of rules in terms of what we might call the concept of shalom or rest or wholeness, peace together. And what a great thing. I mean, if you took a group of former slaves and if you promised them one thing, what would it be? Rest, right? And if you could add add a few things, what might it be? The ability to work and and sow seed in your field and then then actually harvest it and enjoy the fruit of your own labor and sit under the shade of your own tree. right? The ability that when wrong is done to you, somebody would step forward and say, we need to make this right. You shouldn't be mistreating each other like this. So this is perfect. And really, um, it's, it's all about rest and wholeness. Because all they've known is the endless work of slavery. So just to, to get a sample of the text, so I'm not talking about the Bible without reading it, let's, let's go through and just, I want to note a few things along this theme. <clears throat> um, 21, chapter 21. and verse 2. When you buy a Hebrew slave. <laughs> let's read that in light of the major events of the book, shall we? What do you do with a Hebrew slave? Do you be like, should you be like Pharaoh, right? Like, yeah, I got power over this guy. I'm going to make him work till he drops, right? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to crush him if I can to get the most out of him I, I can. And God says, no. If you were redeemed out of Egypt, you should know better than that. And so if a Hebrew comes and offers his services to you as a slave, I will, I'll, I'll do your will. If you, if you take me under your wing, care for me, take care of my needs, give me some stipend. I will indenture myself to you. What, how should you treat him? And it says he shall serve six years, and in the seventh he shall go out free for nothing. So this is not to be a lifelong servitude. <clears throat> this is not like slavery in the deep south, right? This is, I'll work for you for six years, I'll, I'll do your will, but in the seventh I'll go free. It's a concept of Sabbath, right? And this, that's what they've been freed for, is to have... To be a people who knows what rest means. Not only in not having to work for the Egyptians, but not becoming Egyptians themselves (laughs) towards each other. Uh, Look at verse uh, verse 6. Sorry, verse 5. If the slave says, I love my master, my wife, my children, I will not go out free. Then his master shall bring him to God and he shall bring him to the door or the doorpost. And his master shall bore his ear through with an awl and he shall be his slave Forever. So this is the type of master-slave relationship that is good and pleasing to the Lord. And that would be one where the slave, when it's his time to go free, he says, I actually would rather not. This is a pretty sweet deal. My master does not treat me like like Pharaoh treated the Hebrews in in Egypt. But I would like to actually serve you for the rest of my life. You're a good friend. Take good care of me. Can we just stay together? And and there's a song in there somewhere. Uh, Let's stay together. Boom, boom. Anyway, uh, <clears throat> maybe I'm showing my my uh, the age of my parents who taught me music. Uh, okay, so this is this is a really positive thing actually. Um, it really inverts it. Verse eleven talks about if a man were to sell his daughter as a slave, starting in verse seven, um, she shall not go out as the male slaves do. If she does not please her master, who's designated her for himself, he shall let her be redeemed shall have no right to sell her to foreign people, since he has broken faith with her. So the scenario envisioned here is a father who's presumably poor. Otherwise, why would you sell your daughter? Um, He sells his daughter as a slave. Uh, This seems to be a lifelong thing, where he sends her into a household, uh, probably another poorer household, because you would have to pay a bride price to get brides for your sons, so if you know you can't afford this, uh, then you can rather buy a girl in her youth, she'll be raised as one of the family, she'll be treated like a daughter, but she's not of the family, and it says that she will be promised either to himself, when she, when she gets old enough, It uh, uses the word designated in the ESV, uh, or perhaps later on we read maybe for his son, um, that when she comes of age, if she's not pleasing, then she ought to go free. Of course, if she is pleasing, uh, and and she's one of the family, and they would just love to take her on and say, yes, let's do this marriage thing, it's no longer a slavery relationship anyway, and now it's a marital bond that will keep the family together. Um, And so it's countercultural for us, for sure. This is not how we operate. But but in the ancient world, this was actually, it wasn't an injustice at all, but a father would willingly find a good family and say, you can take my daughter, raise her as one of your own. And then when the time comes, it would be great, actually, if she would marry into your family. Um, so this is one way of doing an unarranged marriage. But it says in verse 11, if, if at, all, at any time he takes another wife, um, then if he does not give her food, clothing, or her marital rights, then she should go out for nothing without any payment of money from, from her to him, right? She, she should be able to go out just like, you know what? You didn't keep your end of the bargain. I'm out. And she can do that. <clears throat> Look at verse 16, whoever steals a man and sells him and anyone found in possession of him shall be put to death. This would completely obliterate the slavery that we, that we saw in America, right, and in, and in England. Um, so don't be stealing people and selling them, people are not property. Look at verse 27, um, if somebody knocks out the tooth of his slave, male or female, note the, note the level playing field there, he shall let the slave go free because of his tooth, isn't that interesting? Usually it would be eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Right? You're familiar with this? This is how the law usually works. But here, it's not the master gets his tooth knocked out. It's the slave gets to go free. You see the priority of freedom and rest. And it's like, hey, you know what? If you're going to be mistreating your slave, I mean, how does a master knock out the tooth of his slave? <laughs> this is not a good relationship. How about we go our separate ways? Um, chapter 22 all about restoration now, uh, restitution. Verse 4, if a stolen beast is found alive in his possession, whether it's an ox or a donkey or a sheep, you shall pay double. So don't be a people who goes around stealing. You make sure that you, uh, you make it right. You restore shalom by actually paying back. Our modern justice system doesn't do this. If somebody steals from you and, and they you know, steal your car and torch it, Let's say you don't have insurance, as they didn't in the ancient world. Uh, Somebody steals something of yours and destroys it. What happens to them? They get locked in a cage. And what do you get? Nothing. (laughs) That's not restitution. That's not justice. What the Mosaic Law gives us is an actual uh, heart to restore things and bring things back right again. Beautiful. Uh, Verse 6. If a fire breaks out and catches in thorns so that the stacked grain or the standing grain or the field is consumed... He who started the fire should make full restitution. So watch yourselves, right? Don't be a destructive force in other people's lives because God is going to expect you, in response to what he's done in your life, to go and actually make others whole for the damage that you've caused. Um, look at 22, verse 14. If a man borrows anything of his neighbor and he is, it is injured or dies, the owner not being with it, he shall make full restitution. Um, and, and the full restitution is called Uh, a hiring fee in verse 15 so if the owner was with it he shall not make restitution if it was hired it came for its hiring fee this is actually the word Issachar it's the name of one of the tribes and it's that same word wages that the Hebrews got when they came out of the land of Egypt they were given their wages right for their slavery it's the the name Issachar one of the 12 tribes um And so it's all about making sure wages are paid, things are, are, are set right. Uh, 22 verse 21, You shall not wrong a sojourner or oppress him, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. I mean, that's straight talk. Like This is all about, you, you should know better. You used to be a slave. Um, and he says, if you, if you do that, I will hear their cry, which is what God did in, in the beginning of the book of Exodus, right? The cry of his people went up. And it says, my wrath will burn, and I will kill you with the sword. You will not be like a burning bush that's on fire and not consumed. You will be like a burning bush that is on fire and consumed if you don't turn around and offer the same freedom and restoration that you got from me to others. Um, we could go on and on. Um, there's, there's so many. He repeats in 23.9, don't oppress a sojourner. You know the heart of a sojourner, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. Um, it, it talks about the rest that the land is to have in verse 11, 23 verse 11. The seventh year you shall let the land rest and lie fallow, that the poor of your people may eat. So that even the poor people who, who don't have land and, and or maybe sold their land to pay a big bill, right? Maybe that's that guy who set the field on fire before and had to make full restitution. He's like, I sold my land to make things right. Now what do I do? Will the Lord care for me? Yes, in his law there's a built in provision. That, that you might let the land rest, that the poor people can actually also get something to eat, that you wouldn't have anybody who's starving and destitute. Uh, and so uh, while we could continue and, and we could do a whole sermon just on that, um, I hope what you can see here is that really um, obedience and rest and, and salvation are all bound up together here for this group of former slaves. It's a, it's a beautiful lifestyle that they're being called to. A hard one at times when you have to make good on something. Um, but certainly an appropriate lifestyle for former slaves. Uh, And this this redemptive event of the Exodus is the major background, right? This is not actually primarily, if you look at at the nature of this book of the covenant, it's not primarily all about doing, is it? It's primarily all about resting and, and finding peace with each other, with the land, with the poor, with the Lord. So when we talk about the Mosaic Covenant as a covenant of works, we're actually using terminology. It's kind of foreign to this book of the covenant. Yes, these are things that that Israel should do. And and that's true. But mainly this covenant is there to bring rest. Where are they on their way to? The promised land. That place of rest that God had promised Abraham. So this whole thing is is really setting them up for a beautiful rest. Um, How do we know this is true? Look at this. The sign of the Mosaic covenant. Every covenant has a sign, right? What was the sign of the Noahic covenant, the covenant with Noah? The rainbow, right? You're familiar with that one. The sign of the Abrahamic covenant? Circumcision. Covenants have signs that say something about the covenant. What is the sign of the Mosaic covenant? Speak to the people of Israel and say, Above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths. For this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. Isn't there rest in that? Look, you're gonna strive to be holy. You should you should. You should work to to fulfill this law and keep it. But you need to know fundamentally that the Sabbath is the most important commandment, because that's the one that reminds you that I the Lord am the one who did the work. I sanctify you. And that's the sign of the Mosaic Covenant. It's a covenant of rest. So these laws uh, had a role in the life of Israel. Um, and primarily, it's just, hey, you know what? Remember that you were slaves. Um, live compassionate, restful, and restorative lives like former slaves should. And so shalom is on the heart of God, and we need to reflect that in the nation, in the tribes, in the families, and in your own hearts. And, and this is like, okay, that's, that's all fine and good, right? But we don't have a lot of boars goring people these days. What does that have to do with with us? We're not part of this covenant. Uh, A lot of these laws have to do with slavery and arranged marriage, and it seems very foreign to us. But the heart of it is still really the same thing, isn't it? That rest and and peace and justice are on the heart of God. He doesn't just save them and then get them to sing songs about his glorious rescue from Egypt. He does that. But he, he adds to it that we might actually grow in his likeness, that we might grow closer to him and express who he is to others. And so we read um, in Galatians, it's very interesting, um, Paul is really fighting in the book of Galatians against legalism, against adding the law as something that you need to have righteousness before God, right? He says, no, no, no. The only righteousness that you can have is through Christ paying your debt, giving you his righteousness on the cross. And yet, look what he says. He says, yet because of the false brother's secret brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery. So for Paul, legalism is a return to Egypt in terms of getting salvation, right? You don't get your salvation through keeping rules. He says, to them, we did not yield in submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And then he continues uh, in verse nine. When James and Cephas and, and John, who seemed to be pillars, received or perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. And then note this. So Paul is like this whole social justice thing and all the keeping of the righteous requirements of the law. We totally reject that as as grounds of salvation. But then and then he says. But as I go on my mission, they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. So is social, is social justice and is, is social concern and compassion a part of the gospel? No. It's not built into the gospel. The gospel is what Christ did on your behalf on that cross. Is it a fruit of the gospel? Absolutely. This book of the covenant is not their redemption. It comes after their redemption. They're brought out of Egypt and then they're told, hey, by the way, this is how you can live in light of your redemption. And so this book of the covenant plays a similar role to, to really the whole scriptures in our lives. We should look at it and say, hey, God, how do you, what is your heart like towards the poor, towards that person that I just wronged in my business relationships and my family? Because really, that's our task now, is to remember our redemption and then to move forward knowing God's heart, right? So, um, this should, should change not only how we view these, these laws, this book of the covenant, right, in terms of rest versus works. Too often we're used to thinking about the law as just demands, um, but really it's an offer of rest here. But it also should change how, um, how we think about how God might lead our church to help bring others to rest, both through the gospel and through practical acts of compassion and justice. So there's somebody in your life that has a need, a brother or a sister uh, here sitting around us, uh, we demonstrated this as a church a few weeks back when Quentin Michelle's basement uh, became very Noahic. Right? Flooded? Yeah. Uh, you know, bring a fan. Bring a dehumidifier. It's all good. Let's, let's pitch in. But also maybe that person on the street uh, who's far from God, who needs both the gospel and maybe a, a sandwich. So things to think about as we live out our redemption as a church. And then the second lens is... <clears throat> That each of these rules is actually a divine extension or a divine application of a principle found in the ten words or the ten commandments. Um, and, and so we can be asking ourselves as we read what does this, this particular weird little law about bo- boars or bulls goring people have to do with the ten words? So really what this section is also doing is not only reminding them of their rest and challenging them to live holy lives, but it's unpacking, like, what did God mean when he said these Ten Commandments? What are some specific examples where I could actually apply the Ten? So it's just unpacking. It's like, okay, let's take a law. Let's unpack that into daily life in ancient Israel. Um, and, and so it might be helpful for us to review the 10 at this point. Uh, do you have the 10 commandments memorized? I know Aaron mentioned this last week, and it's kind of difficult to remember. I was taught a, a little memory device, and I've been thinking this week, there's 10 commandments, right? How many fingers? Yeah, 10. 10 fingers. Are we given 10 fingers because God would give 10 commandments? Or did he give 10 because we already had 10, 10 fingers? I, I don't know. It's like the chicken and egg question. Uh, but these fingers here are going to help you remember the Ten Commandments, okay? So everything you do with your hands, right? Everything that your thoughts and, and your attitudes and your your deeds, uh, they all kind of come through your hands eventually. So they can help you remember the law of God. So let's do it together. So do it with me, okay? So there's only one God. Two is too many. No idols, right? Two is too many. And then... Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's number three. The Trinity. Yeah? Uh, keep his name holy. Uh, don't take his name in vain. Fourthly, you've got four fingers like this. Thumb in front. Lay it down flat. That's you taking a nap. huh? Remember the Sabbath. Keep it holy. Rest on the Sabbath. Then all five fingers, good Boy Scout fashion. All right? Honor your father and your mother. <clears throat> then we're going to go four fingers again. That's still you taking a nap, by the way. Then you got two fingers over here. Point at the other hand. Boom. Don't kill. All right, that's four plus two, if you can do math. Uh, don't murder. Seven. You're going to have five fingers out like this, two fingers like this. That's you on your wedding day, standing there at the aisle, right? Two people before the, the altar. Remember your marriage vows. Don't commit adultery. Uh, And then you're going to have four and four. And uh, again, if you're doing math, that would be eight. You can either go like this, kind of crisscross in front of your eyes, or like this, jail bars, right? You don't want to steal. You're going to end up in jail. (laughs) All right. Then uh, five here, four over here, you're going to go like this. Don't say lies behind someone's back, right? Bear false witness. And then finally, all five out like this. And gimme, gimme, gimme. Don't covet, All right, so those are the ten. hopefully that's a, a useful memory device for you, maybe for your kids uh, to to remember these things and so this is the part where i'm going to open up the text to you, and I just claim that every one of these little obscure laws is somehow an unpacking of these ten. so shout her out, what have we got? what do you want what do you want to apply uh, from the Ten Commandments? find a verse, and uh, either you can suggest how it might connect, or maybe you're just wondering so. If you shout out a verse, we'll have a conversation. Who will be first? Anything from uh, 20 verse 22 through, uh, I guess we can do 20, chapter 23 as well, all the way through. So just give me the reference, we can all turn there. Oh, come on don't be shy. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so, uh, the month, you shall not make a Yes. Mm-hmm. Which chapter are you in? Uh, 2023. 2023. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. In fact, uh, the same would be true of verse 22, right? You shall say to the people of Israel, you've seen for yourselves I talked with you from heaven. What does he mean? He means you didn't see me on earth. You didn't see a form. You heard my voice from heaven. Remember that. You did not see a, a visible form. And so he says, don't make any gods of silver, gods of gold. Uh, the same thing, right? In, in verse 24, an altar of earth you shall make for me. This would be a loose stone altar stacked up with no chisel. Why can't you use a chisel on the stones? That seems odd, right? Because what is the tendency of man's heart? To violate the second commandment. As soon as you start chiseling on an altar for the Lord, you go, oh, me this a little nicer. You know, a little nice with a sharp corner on the end. Maybe a flower. Or maybe like a fox. Wouldn't that be cool? And soon, everyone's bowing around an altar that's carved with all kinds of creative things from the chisel, and they start to get distracted, and their heart starts to bend towards the images instead of the one who you're supposed to be worshiping. So just pile up some rocks. Just any old rocks will do. Don't touch them, okay? Don't even put your chisel on those things. That's second commandment. Violation. As soon as you touch a chisel to a rock that has to do with the worship of God, uh, that, that could be a problem. So that'd be an application of the second one. Anyone else? All right, <clears throat> twenty-one, twenty-one. But if a slave survives a day or two, he's not to be avenged, for the slave is his money. Ooh, that's a, that's a tough one, hey? So back to the context of verse 20. When a man strikes his slave, male or female, obviously not an ideal situation in the view of this text, with a rod, and the slave dies under his hand, he shall be avenged. What commandment is that? Six, one, seventh, sorry, sixth. Yeah, four plus two, six. (laughs) Yeah, six one, don't murder. But then there's this interesting caveat. If the slave survives a day or two, he's not to be avenged, for the slave is his money. Meaning, uh, likely, what happened was he did not strike with intent to kill. Right? If you fly off the handle and you strike and you intend to kill and you kill, then you should... The slave is no, no different as an image bearer than anyone. But if you strike someone... Uh, and, and it's not intended to harm in that way. The person is likely going to survive a while before dying. And, and what does it mean? His slave is his money. Well, that's his income. I mean, he, he actually paid this guy to come and work for him. That's how he's going to make things happen economically. And the penalty of losing a slave that you did not intend to lose is enough. So, murder that takes two days drawn out says something about intent. Intent. And a loss of of relationship, right? The motive. Who would would kill their own staff, right? It's like, I need this guy to run my business. And I didn't intend to strike him like that, but something went terribly wrong. He got an infection. Might not be how we think of it, but I think that's what's going on there. Anything else? 22, 22, 31. You shall be consecrated to me, therefore, you shall not eat any flesh that is torn by beasts in the field. Throw it to the dogs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what might this be? This is a tricky one too. Hey? Road kill. Road, no, roadkill. <laughs> yeah, I don't like this one. I like my roadkill. Uh, <clears throat> we won't put that on the podcast, will we? <laughs> okay. Yes, you shall co- be consecrated to me. It seems to be the key here, right? You're dedicated to me. Don't eat any flesh that is torn by beasts in the field. You shall throw it to the dogs. And there's a certain sense of cleanliness here. You shall be consecrated to me reminds me of the first and second commandments. That you belong to the Lord and the Lord alone. Um, And so there's a sense of clean and unclean and even in what you eat, right? That you don't defile yourself with rotting meat. You treat your temple as holy would be how we might say it, right? I also would not eat green roadkill. I'm also created in the image of God. Um, And if I I value him, if I am consecrated to him, then even in the application not to murder, it would apply to us, right? Don't eat stupid stuff. We might even use this in our our day to like, yeah, you don't want to be doing the meth, (laughs) right? Don't do that. That would be a violation not only of your consecration to the Lord, but the command not to murder because that thing will destroy you, right? Okay, one more. Twenty two eighteen. Shall not permit a sorceress to live. What is a sorceress? Sorceress is somebody who conjures up the dark powers, right, through various incantations and, and powers and spells and all kinds of uh, dark dark arts. We might say, um, to to either gain information or power from a source other than God, power that He has not offered to us. We go to alternative sources of power. And we, we say to him, Lord, what you've given me is not enough. I will now go to the realm of Satan uh, to get what you've not offered me, which is a repeat of the garden, right? God said, I give everything you need. Just don't eat that tree. You actually don't need it. It's not good for you. And you say, mm, I'm going to go to that tree. So this is really, again, idolatry, right? No pun intended, idolatry. Um, yeah, that's what it is. It's saying, I'm going to go to other places instead of to the Lord. And when you do that, you deserve Death. In fact, that's exactly what will happen for all of us who are idolaters. We deserve death because the Lord himself is the source of life. And we will get that death uh, unless, of course, somebody were to come along and pay our penalty, uh, which would be wonderful. So, yes, uh, it's certainly concerned with keeping religion pure in Israel so that uh, the people might not be led astray by uh, sorceresses as well. Okay, good. So I hope that you can see, I hope you're excited now to actually go and dig into this section. Even though I can't do verse by verse, that's your task as you're reading through it. Is go, how does this connect back and illustrate some of the things that are going on? Um, now, this is really interesting. And this is the principle I want you to get out of this. Is that you get the Ten Commandments, right? The Ten Commandments are clear, are they not? Sure. But remember last week in Aaron's sermon, he said, if, we were left, if it was left up to us to create the laws that create human flourishing and goodness of life, we would get it wrong. We'd mess it up. That's just as true as the application and interpretation of the law that God gives. We need him in that just as much. Because otherwise we'd take these 10 words and we'd be like, well, it wasn't really like, yes, I have an attack dog or an attack bull, and I let it run around the neighborhood, but I didn't kill anyone. Right? That's not a violation of the sixth commandment. And God says, "Yes, it is. You need to be concerned with applying this law in every aspect of your life it 's going to take over everything that you do is going to be your concern is how to, what is god 's heart and how do I please him so in other places in the law and the, the other six hundred and uh, 600 and what is it? 593 commandments. They say there's 613. If we take the, the 10 away, that'll be 603. Math again, right? 603. The other ones are really just an unpacking of the 10. So, like, there's a rule uh, to, to build a, a parapet, right, around your roof. So, a fence around your flat roof. Well, that's an application of the six. Don't be responsible for someone's death. Over and over again, each law is an unpacking of who God is and, and what He said in the 10. Um, And and so this is an important principle. Um, There's a philosophy called deism, and it was popular a few centuries ago. Um, It emphasized the use of reason over revelation. There we go. Uh, The use of reason over revelation for deciding religious questions. Basically saying, look, yeah, God has said stuff in the Bible, but really in the end, he's left it up to us to think it through and figure it out. Well, that is actually not, not true. Um, deism basically says that God kind of created the world and then stepped back and is now unconcerned and uninvolved. And that's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible doesn't just create and walk away. Not only that, he doesn't legislate and walk away. Huh. He gives you laws and then he steps right into the nitty-gritty and helps you figure out how to apply. And, and as we zoom out into kind of our context, again, we're not under this covenant. We don't live under this law. And yet, what has God given us that we might in our day to day, as we deal with all the COVID stuff and all the wars and, and the transgender question and cloning and everything that you could possibly name, uh, modern political machinations and whatever, whatever there is, right? Has God given us anything or has he just said, well, oh, I, guess, I guess the Bible is an old book, so you're on your own. Well, he's given us the Bible and then he's also given us the Holy Spirit, even though we're not under the letter of this law, I think you and I can see the application of build a fence around your flat-roofed house. You're like, I don't have a flat-roofed house. Yes, but there are certainly things in your life, like, for example, fixing the brakes on your car. Maybe you need to get done this week. <laughs> Same thing. The Holy Spirit is there to convict us and to lead us into those things. God is intimately involved with the application of everything that he said in this book. And he does so, so for us. By writing the law on our hearts, and the Holy Spirit will come and remind us of what was spoken. And, and that's really my pastoral burden. There's so much confusion in the church on what the law is, right? And we rightly understand that we're not under this old covenant that, that was all about gaining righteousness through our works. That, that's, that's all true. But the law is so much more than that. And if all you can see is that, oh, when I read the law, I'm just thankful we're not under that anymore. There's nothing to say to me. I think we're, I think we're immature. If that's our view, we need to embrace the law and say, hey, what is that saying to me? What is God aiming at here? And and even built into the law itself, the ancient Israelites were asking themselves that question. They knew the 10, but then when God would bring forward the application in this book of the covenant, they'd go, oh, I never thought of that one. Right, that, that's, that's built into the 10 too. I, right. So the principalization of the law. What was the principle of the ten? And God will help us understand what the principles of the law were. And, and to establish this, because there's so many, so many competing ideologies around what the law is, the question really is, what was the teaching of the apostles and, and Christ himself? So Jesus reinforced and esteemed the law. Um, Matthew five seventeen through 19, "...do not think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota or a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished." Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is not teaching salvation by works. But what he's saying is this book, none of this book is expired. <laughs> You're going to live in fulfillment of the whole thing by God's grace. Um, secondly, we see that for in Romans 10, the law is not the basis of our righteousness. Christ is the end of the law. There we are. Uh, Christ is... End of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. This law is not going to make you righteous. Jesus did that. And yet, he says uh, in Romans 6, sin will have no, no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. What then? Are we to sin because we're not under law but under grace? By no means. So being under grace doesn't mean you just toss all of God's standards. It's like now, hey, oh Lord, thank you for the righteousness you've given me. Help me to walk in accordance with everything that you've written and said. And all the promptings of your spirit. Um, And now, in Romans 3.31, we read, we can actually uphold the law. And another danger of us as a church, as we preach the gospel and our own inability, and it's good to remind ourselves of that, something has changed in Christ. One of the gifts of salvation is that you might not live in the same patterns of destruction and constant work and and not shalom that you used to walk in. And so we need to be careful with that. He says, do we then overthrow the law by this faith? No, by no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. The law can provide practical guidance for life. Acts 23, verse 5. And Paul said, uh, after he had spoken against the high priest, he said, Oh, I didn't know, brothers, that he was the high priest. For it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Now, Paul is not under the law, earning his way on the on the treadmill, to righteousness. But he does look to the law to say, I, I want to know how to please you, Lord. And, and so he applied it to that situation. The law is the basis for authority in the church. 1 Corinthians 9, 8-11. to 11, He says, Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law stay the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. <laughs> it's like, that's an obscure commandment, right? There's no ox or muzzle in sight. What Paul is saying is, Does a pastor have the right to be paid and so he goes back to the law and he's coming with like, what are the principles here that I am going to fulfill as a Christian? Don't muzzle the ox. And then he says it, he spells it out. He says, uh, is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. So Paul, uh, Paul would see in there, uh, the kernel, the principle is hope. That when you work, you work with hope. Anybody think that might be relevant to former slaves, <laughs> right, that you should share in your labor, the fruit of your labor? It's a beautiful thing, and Paul's understood this in the context of the former slaves hearing the law and going, yeah, that's a good law. Even the ox gets to share in the labor, how much more so the pastor. And then Paul, of course, backs off and says, and I waive my rights, <laughs> and you should do the same for each other. Uh, so I'm not asking for a, a salary. Uh, I'm I'm doing the same thing he's doing. All right. Okay. Uh, We can apply the principles of the law to a fresh situation, and this is actually a sign of Christian maturity. You know, one of the most difficult passages in the New Testament, I think, is 1 Corinthians 14, right? Tongues and prophecy. Whoa, what do we do with this? And I'm not going to have a sermon on that. That would would take us another hour. However, I would love to one day. Um, However... Isn't this interesting that he pauses, Paul pauses in the midst of this discussion on contentious church practice in the first century, and he says, do I, uh, He says, brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking, be mature. And what does he bring to, to help them grow in that maturity? He says, in the law, it is written. Did the law talk about speaking in tongues in the church after the giving of the Holy Spirit? Not really. What's he going to draw from? Uh, It says, By people of strange tongues and by lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. God would send foreign armies uh, to surround Jerusalem when they were disobedient. And so people of speaking other languages around you is a bad thing. It's a sign that you are unbelievers. Uh, Which was, of course, given at the day of Pentecost. right? That if God would do this, it's a sign he's ready to take it to the Gentiles, right? And come and destroy Jerusalem. So tongues are initially actually a sign of judgment. And that would be Paul's uh, application of the law. He says, their prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers, right? When when Israel is gathered and is in their land, and God sends prophets to encourage and warn and, and bring his people to repentance that they might stay in the land. So people who are in the land, walking with the Lord, need prophets to come and correct but when things go badly, God says, sends tongues so that you can hear the tongues of other people all around you and know Jerusalem's going to fall. <laughs> the Babylonians are here. Uh, so interesting, right? He goes to the law to help them process through tongues and prophecy. Um, the basis, of course, is the spirit not the letter. We are released from the law, having died... Oh, there we go. Uh, having died uh, to that which held us captive so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Redemption enables us to fulfill the law, Romans 8. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. This isn't about primarily your justification. This is about your sanctification. The righteous requirement of the law not by the letter, but by the spirit of the law, will be fulfilled in you as long as you walk by the spirit instead of saying yes to the flesh. That's his aim in terms of bringing the church to maturity. Um, if we're reconciled to God, we, we can actually please God, which we weren't able to do before. Romans 8, 7-8, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, but does not submit to God's law, and indeed it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. What's being implied? Those who are in the spirit... Can please God. Yes, we don't have to be down on ourselves and think there's no way that I could even begin to look at the law and think I could do any of this. That's no longer true in Christ. Now, you'll never do it perfectly. You'll always fail and you'll come back to the foot of the cross. Uh, But what an encouragement to know that we don't have to displease God like we did before we were saved. We don't have to be a wrecking ball in someone else's life like we did before we were saved. Um, Even the believing Jew, Uh, Sorry, love uh, It fulfills the law, which is the central principle. I think we're familiar with this. Um, The one who loves one, uh, one another has fulfilled the law. But even the believing Jew, and this is often a question that we get in the church, right? Well, maybe the Jews are still under the law, but Gentile Christians aren't. Well, guess what? Paul is Jewish, and what does he say? He says, to those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. So some people say when Paul saw a Jew, he hid his ham sandwich behind his back. Paul himself can go to Gentile regions. He can eat with Gentiles, all of which would have been a real risk for a Jew who was trying to live under the law. He's not living under the law, but he totally is out there to fulfill the law by bringing the gospel to the Gentiles, by seeing them grow in holiness. And if that means a ham sandwich, so be it. right? But he doesn't want to cause the Jew to stumble. Um, and, and finally, the spirit and the law actually have the same goal. Galatians 5, verse 13 and following. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. That is really the heart of this book of the covenant that we're studying today, right? Don't bite and consume. Rather, restore, set right, set free. Verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So the Spirit and the law have the same goal and that is love for God and love for others. Um, these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Isn't that interesting? This is part of the reason why we have confusion in the church. It's like, if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. At the same time, the law and the Spirit have the same goals. Fascinating. And so that's, that's a. I hope that sets a fire under you to go and reread the law not as something that was canceled. Thank heavens we're not under that anymore. But praise God that though we're not under it, we do get to fulfill it. Lord, how would you have me fulfill this, this text today? Um, and, and so I propose that we have a holistic view um, of the law, uh, which is a biblical view of the law. And you've heard a few things. And, and one would be this the division of the law into moral, civil, and ceremonial, which, if you find that helpful, that's fine. But if you're doing that so that you can ignore two-thirds of the law as civil and ceremonial, I think we have a problem. Nowhere in the scriptures is the law divided up in that way and then the moral law is the only thing that you're under somehow. We're not under any of it, but we fulfill all of it. So for example, I could wear polycotton and still fulfill the commandment not to wear mixed fabrics because that goes back to which commandment? Number two, don't mix the worship of God with the worship of idols. Same reason they're not supposed to plant two different types of crops in a field, right? And intermarry, because they might get led astray to idols. Don't be mixed of heart. Be single of heart. Let your fabric and your fields show it. And So I do fulfill that one. I really do, even though I wear polycotton blends. And so as you go through the law, do, do actually uh, not just categorize to try to, to try to cope with what you sense is the tension there, but rather ask the Lord, how would you have me fulfill the principle here? Um, and, and so, yeah, there there are many other, I think, false ways to to treat the law. Um, for example, dividing it into communal versus individual, ancient culture versus timeless laws, um, things that are repeated in the New Testament or not. Those can all be helpful observations. But at no point, th- then at, after after the analysis, do we cast away part of our Bible as cancelled. Um, and, and so, for example, all of the commandments, the ten commandments, are repeated in the New Testament, they say, except for one, which is the Sabbath. And yet, if that observation leads you to throw out the Sabbath as not for Christians, what do you do with this? It says, for we who have believed enter that rest. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for whoever has entered God's rest also rested from his works as God did from his. Did you know that when you rest from your works and the hamster wheel of your own effort and actually put your faith in Jesus, you are actually fulfilling the end goal of the Sabbath commandment? Trusting in Jesus is the seventh commandment. Uh, sorry, the, um, the fourth commandment, rather, right? Uh, that's the fourth commandment. When you, when you keep that, you've kept the Sabbath. Now, you might say, I still need a time of rest. Amen? That's good. Uh, but fundamentally, the Sabbath is definitely for Christians because you, you participate in when you rest from your works and you say, okay, Jesus, can you, can you work for me instead of, instead of me doing this? Um, and so the Bible does treat the law as, as a unit. You're living under all of it or none of it. You're either striving to fulfill everything you're reading or you're, or you're canceling certain parts of your Bible. And so the apostles saw believers as fulfilling the law through the guidance of the Holy Spirit as they grow in sanctification and never for the purposes of Justification. All right. So let's look to the law as a precious revelation from God, Um, never the basis of our righteousness. Um, But now that we're redeemed by his grace, let's live out the heart of God we find in the principles of the law. And so, in in conclusion, going back to uh, lens number one, there we are. Uh, We said that these rules were meant to create rest and wholeness among people who had only known the endless work of slavery. So let's praise God together that we're not on a hamster wheel of good works to please God, even as we strive to please Him and and be conformed to the likeness of Christ uh, by His grace. And, And praise Him, He does not redeem us to put us on a hamster wheel, but now we're free to finally live and thrive under His rule. And to bless others. So let's look at the law then as an opportunity to know and celebrate the heart of God. Knowing that it carries no more threat, but just opportunity for us. Um, And then lens number two. We said that each of these rules is a divine application or extension of a principle found in the ten words. And so let's not toss any part of our Bible as cancelled. Listen for how the Spirit would apply the principles of the law to our own sanctification journey. And and so this book of the covenant takes the principles behind the ten words and fleshes them out into practical life for the Israelites. And the Holy Spirit is doing the same thing with the law for believers today. Um, We need to treat our employees well. We should provide rest and well-being. Treat your fiancé or your spouse well, not withholding from them what you once vowed to provide. Children, do honor your parents. Even though the death penalty uh, prescribed for striking your parents has already been paid by Christ for those times that you might fail, um, but let the Spirit reveal to you how serious God takes this charge to treat mom and dad with respect because you love the Lord and, and he's treated you so well. Um, we might also apply this to abortion in our day. The Bible doesn't say much about that. But boy, does that ever speak to that sixth commandment. Um, and we are planning a movie night coming up, a pro-life movie night somewhere here at this church. It might be on June 12th. That's not settled yet. Um, but do come to that and, and do celebrate the gift of life that God has given um, and let's, as a church, even though we're only 18 months old, I mean, these, these Israelites were freshly redeemed out of Egypt as well, right? Let's not think that the law is this big, scary thing out in the distance, um, but let's put a concerted effort into growing into a mature relationship with the law. And I hope that what we've looked at today energizes your Old Testament Bible reading and your pursuit of holiness. Um, let's study, let's read, let's pray, and let's discuss uh, this, this law so that just as the principles behind the ten words get fleshed out, Uh, into practical life for the Israelites, the Holy Spirit might do the same thing with the law in our church as we grow more into the likeness of Christ who fulfilled the law perfectly in our place. Um, And so now I'd like to close in a word of prayer. And after that, if your kids are out at Trails Kids, uh, you can run and grab them so they can join us for this final song.